prayer that you would like. It is all good. <clears throat> but if you want to be where I'm going to be, the book of Joel, Joel chapter number one, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Joel. I got I to crack a couple of jokes, get my nerves out of the way. But I love the Calvary Baptist Church. If you would stand for the reverence of the reading of the Word of God. I know Joel is a weird book, so I'm going to give you just a little bit longer to find it. Joel chapter number 1. If you found your place, if you would say amen. 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 Look at me in verse number 1. It says, In the word of the Lord that came to Joel the son of Pethuel, Hear this, ye old men, and give ear all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it. And let your children tell their children. And their children another generation. We have a break in the link when it comes to America. It seems like listening to days gone by and preachers gone by, that the men of old had the touch of God, but for some reason we're lacking in our day and hour. It seems like the men of old and the grandparents and the great-grandparents knew who God was and knew the power of God in church and knew what it was like to go to a church filled with the Holy Ghost of God and people to get on fire, ready to worship God, but for some reason it seems like in my generation it seems to be slacking off. Am I the only one that feels that way? <clears throat> but I'm glad that our Bible is a forever book. I'm glad that I hold in my hands the authorized, inspired, inerrant, infallible, powerful Word of God. And I'm glad that it did not stop with Grandpa, but it is a Bible that will work just as good as today as it did all the way, way back when in the days of old. This book is still the answer to our generation. So I want to preach on this thought this morning with God being our helper for another generation. For another generation. Our fathers, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for the day that you've given us. God, we give you honor and we give you glory for everything that's been accomplished so far in this service. Lord, thank you for the good singing. Thank you for the hospitality. Thank you for the men and women who have taken time out of their busy schedule to be faithful, to be to church this morning. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us. God, help us to say everything that we should say, nothing that we shouldn't say. Lord, help us to just clothe us in a cloak of our calling. Lord, help us to be a help and a blessing. These men and women didn't come just to hear a sermon from a briefcase. But God, they need a message from you, Lord, to help them get through this week. God, to help them to live in this terrible world that we live in. Help us, strengthen us, speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, because we'll give you honor and we'll give you glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Joel is one of the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament. He is not minor because of his importance, but his, the importance of his scripture, but he is minor just simply by the length of the scripture that God inspired him to write. He is a small book that he has written. It'll take you about 20 minutes if you read like I do, if you read like the average person, maybe 10 minutes to read the book, but his name means Jehovah is God. But Joel is writing to the people of Israel and he has given them strict instruction. He is writing to them, speaking to them about the events that are going to be taking place in the near and the far future. If you know much about Bible prophecy, you'll know that the book of Joel deals a lot with the prophetic, what's going to happen to the nation of Israel in the tribulation. But that's not, I'm not going to dive into that. I'll let your pastor deal with all tribulation stuff. I'm going to stick to the, the you know, we're going to float in the little water. 
But he was ringing out the sound of prophecy to God's people, and he's speaking to them unashamed, unchanged, unmoved to what he has given them because they need to hear what he is saying. And though it was what God wanted him to say, the people of Israel didn't like what Joel had to say. And though his message was not one of jubilee, it was more or less one of judgment, his opening remarks direct them to what has happened in the nation of Israel. And let me just tell you, in the nation of Israel, in Joel's time period, in Joel's time frame, has not been a very wonderful place to live. They were God's chosen people, but for some reason, what has happened to God's chosen people wasn't very liked. He said, what do you mean? Number one, he points out they faced devastation. I'm just going to hit these real quick. They faced devastation. Verse number four, Joel begins to talk about how they heavily relied on their crops. They heavily relied on the, the fields and growing of corn and wheat and barley. And in their time, it wasn't like in our time where you could just run to Walmart and get whatever you needed. They, have, they depended very heavily on whether or not they had a good crop or a bad crop. If their crop didn't do well, they were in a fix for the next couple of months. And see, in their time period, there was an insect invasion, one right after another, that had completely ruined their crops. The locusts had came in and taken up and eaten up all the green and all the everything that they were trying to grow. And the land of Judah was stripped of everything good and green, and they were left a very hungry and depraved people. But this message does not stop there. They had faced devastation. Not only had they faced devastation, they had faced destruction. They also faced an invasion of surrounding nations. Many nations had came against Israel and taken over their land, besieged them, stripped them of their goods and all their honor. And there they were in a terrible, fixed mess. Many have speculated that the insects that were used in the, in the previous verses of the canker worm, the locust, the palmer worm, and the caterpillar were all symbolic of the four powers of the world that would come against the nation of Israel being the powers of Babylon, Rome, Persia, and Greece. And their armies that came in, destroyed the vineyards, set afire the fields, and left them in a mess. They had faced devastation, destruction, but not only that, they had faced desolation. A severe drought and a lack of water had not only taken up all the crops, had not only killed all the vineyards, but now their cattle are beginning to die and their, their sheep are beginning to die. Their goats are beginning to die. Every, all the animals and their herds were beginning to suffer and perish because there was no water. In verses 18 and 20, he begins to speak about this. And if the nation of Israel has not faced enough, fire breaks out in the nation of Israel, burning everything that was left. They have faced a terrible thing. Everything was lost in the nation of Israel. But let me show you something. They had faced devastation, destruction, and desolation. But the key thing is that they had faced discipline. Verses 14 and 15, Joel begins to go in and describe to them that these situations were not accidental. The drought did not just happen. The fires weren't just an accident. The locusts didn't just so happen to be a partial season that they were going into. But Joel begins to remind them that there was a God up in heaven who loved them and cared for them and blessed them. And those that blessed them, he blessed them. But God was judging them and bringing retribution against them because of their rebellion and how they had rebelled against God. Now God was bringing judgment upon his people. And as I began to read about how Joel began to describe the rebellion of Israel and how God was judging Israel with a drought, my mind began to go back to our nation. 
I love the stars and bars. America is the greatest nation in the world. Can I get an amen? amen? But a man would be a fool to think that America is what it used to be. Because they have left their spiritual values. I love, one of my, when I walked in this morning, my heart began to do backflips because of all the flags. I love those, that flag, don't you? I hate to see someone disrespect that flag. Oh, come on now. When that flag comes out, I believe a man should stand at attention. He should put his hand across his heart. Because I love the nation that God has put me in. But let me tell you this. America as a nation is facing turmoil. It is facing bad. And if I can say it like this, because of its rebellion against God and against its creator, it is facing the same destruction, desolation, devastation, and discipline that the nation of Israel was facing long ago. You can see in our nation, natural disaster begins to rip through it with a greater frequency than what it used to, totaling tens of billions of dollars every single year, tornadoes, hurricanes, fires, inflict damage, and America is under the judgment of God. Now consider the, the, the sin and the evil and the, that runs rampant in the world that we live in. We live in a nation that Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah chapter number 5 where it said they considered good evil and evil they considered good. That's the world that we live in. We're living in a society that protects the wicked and punishes the righteous. We're living in a world where fear has been replaced and fear has replaced faith. Sin has replaced sanity. Greed has replaced God and holiness has been replaced by hatred. That's the world that we live in. There is no doubt that America is under the awesome judgment of God today. You can see it in our homes. You can see it in our population. You can see it in the streets. You can see it in the entertainment. And most of all, you can see it in our churches. You say, preacher, did you come just to lash out on us today? No, we're getting somewhere. Don't worry, but we've got to build a platform first. In our churches, we see it. Preaching has been replaced by praise songs. Men would rather hear the singing and the entertainment of church than hear the preaching and the fervency of the Word of God. And let me say, I love music just as much as anybody else. I'm our choir leader. I do so much with the music at our church. But the one thing that you build a church on is the inspired, authorized King James Bible. Because songs will come and go. Seasons of songs will come and they will pass. But the Word of God is established and set in heaven and to build on that, you can go another mile. You see, holiness has been replaced with just happiness. Commitment has been replaced with complacency. We are in a world where people are more excited about going on shopping trips with the church than they are about revival meetings. That's the world that we live in. We wink at sin and wince at the holy demands of God. We've lost our fire. We've lost our power. We've lost our desire for the things of God. We would rather play than pray. We would rather just have our ears tickled than our hearts searched by the word of God. That's the world that we live in. We would rather be entertained than challenged. And see, I'm not, I'm not preaching to y'all. I'm preaching to me more than anybody. Because that's the world that we live in. We would rather stay just like we are than be more like him. And it challenges me to see that our nation and our churches are under the spiritual judgment of God. We are living and experiencing a spiritual Drought, And it reminds me much of the verse in Judges chapter number 2 where it says, And I saw, and there arose another generation of them, which knew not the Lord, 
nor yet the works which they had done for, he had done for Israel. Can you imagine being that generation? We're talking about two generations out of Joshua and away from Joshua, and they had no idea who the Lord was. Say, preacher, how could that be? I mean, we're talking mere four generations away from Moses. The parting of the Red Sea, we, we had a movie night with all of our kids club last night, and they was watching Pharaoh and Moses and just the story and all that was going on. And I was thinking about this message. This nation that rose up and this generation that drew up was four generations away from Moses. The one that stood on the banks of the Red Sea and said, behold, See the salvation of the Lord and the waters part and they walked across on dry ground and then all of a sudden as Pharaoh and his armies came through, the water collapsed on them and God killed off their entire enemy and led them through the, led them through the wilderness. For 40 years, God fed them, God clothed them and for some reason, just a couple of generations away, that generation grew up not even knowing who God was. I said, preacher, how is that possible? How is it possible that we live in a generation there's so many young people that don't even know who God is when just a couple of generations ago there was fire in the pulpit? When just a couple of generations ago there were revivals breaking out all over America with thousands of people getting saved and yet we live in a generation where boys don't know that they're boys and girls don't know that they're girls. We live in a generation where, and I'm, I'm in public schools almost every single week of my life, we live in a generation where some people think they're cats and some people think they're dogs and some people have made, can I just say something? We have, we have a school in our area who have petitioned to have Kitty litter boxes put in their bathroom. That's the generation we live in. Listen up now. And just a couple of generations ago, the fire of God was in America. The power of God was in America. And God was revered and loved in every home. But now it seems to be dying off. That's where we're living. This is the generation that we're living in that thinks only of themselves. On Sundays, they would rather pack out a stadium than pack out a church. Oh, they would rather build their bank account and make themselves feel better than to build an altar for their children to grow up on. They spend hours consuming content via TV, social media, Instagram, Facebook, and never take time to pick up the precious word of God. Judah was in a mess, but America is in a mess in the day that we live in. And I love her to death, but America is not what she used to be. Well, preacher, if you think that way, then what's the use? Preacher, if you really feel that way and you drove all the way to Union Grove just to tell us how bad America is, what's the point? Bear with me now. Listen now. If there's no more great revivals, Brother Brandon, there's no more great meetings God's not working like he used to, and we'll just come to church, we'll go through the routine, we'll let the choir sing, we'll let Brother Ethan give the announcements, and then we'll let the preacher say a couple of words, and then we'll go home and watch some NFL football. Preacher, if that's what it is, then we'll just go through the routines, we'll just live our lives if God's done. No, 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 that's not what I said. You see how God moved back with Percy Ray and D.L. Moody and Billy Sunday and Billy Graham and all those men of old, see... If I felt that God was done working, I would not be here. Say, so what do you mean, preacher? So I, I do the screens at our church, and Lord, help, that's an ugly mug. Y'all pray for my wife. She deals with me. 
But I, I do the screens at our church, so before any time I preach out, I have to go set up the screens and make sure everything's looking good, look over all the songs, make sure they're typed out right, which that's one thing that I have so much respect. Whoever types out the songs, my respect goes out to you to make sure that that's right, because that's a tough little job to do. <laughs> but I got up this morning, I left the house about 7.45, 8, and I went to the church and got everything ready. I set up all the stuff for the sound and all the stuff for the screens, and I tried to make the young boys coffee for the teen class, and for some reason it didn't work. I, I printed out some stuff, made sure all the Sunday school teachers had what they needed, and then I, I drove home, I got back in the car, and I went to the house, picked up my girls. My wife was superwoman, running through the house, getting my two girls crazy and in line and all that that takes. Then we got in the car and we drove all the way down here. And if I felt that God was done, my girls would have slept a little bit longer this morning. If I felt that God was done, I promise you, I'd be sitting on my couch right now. Because we, we drive and do way too much throughout the week. And Sundays, everybody says it's the day of rest. You are crazy if you think Sunday is the day of rest. <laughs> Especially if you work at the church. Ain't there right men? And if I felt that God was done, I promise you my girls would have slept a little bit more this morning. But I did not come to discourage you. I came to encourage you. I did not come to beat you down and make you depressed and droopy-lipped going into Monday morning. That's not why I came down here. I came down here to let you know that because God is not done, because God is not finished and because God has not taken us out of here, there is still chance and there is still hope for the nation that we live in. I believe it. I believe it with every fiber in my being that God still is the same God that he was 70 years ago. God is still the same God that he was back with Billy Sunday and Lester Roloff and D.L. Moody. The power of God is still the same. And because I do not believe and I do not serve in a God that quit while there is still time on the clock. I do not serve a God who throws the towel in while the fighter is still fighting. I do not serve a God who pulls the soldier out of the fight when the fight is still going on. But I believe in a God who is there and is ready. And while a child of God is still breathing and there's still breath in the church of God, America has hope. While the choirs are still singing, America has hope. While the churches are still gathering, America has hope. While the bus routes are still running, America has hope. While the preachers are still preaching that wonderful book, America has hope. Joel was writing to them, letting them know what they had been through, letting them know what they were facing, but also letting them know, don't give up on that next generation. Joel was writing a charge, a declaration, a trumpet being blown, letting him know that this is not the end. But we are looking for some men. We are looking for some women. We're looking for some boys. We're looking for some girls who would stand up and say, America may have turned their back on God, but we have not turned our back on America. Even though America has walked away, we are still here. We are still praying that God would send a revival. And see, Joel was writing this call to those that he was looking for someone who still believed. They need someone to stand. They need someone to believe, someone to fight for that next generation. 
Look with me in verse number, look at me in chapter number two. Look at me in verse number 12. Joel lists out everything that they face in chapter number one. The fires, the drought, the locusts, the canker worm, everything that they face. And look at me in verse number 12. He said, therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your hearts and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn into the Lord your God for he is gracious. Somebody say amen. And merciful. Somebody say amen. Slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent? That excites me a little bit. Because I don't know about y'all, but I've not always done right. I, I know y'all look at me and I, I'm all dressed up, got my hair all fixed. I got this fancy little microphone on. And I look like somebody of great prestige, don't I? I promise you, if you knew me like I knew me, you would not be sitting here and you would not be listening to me. But Joel said, who knows what God will do? If we return back to him and we turn our hearts back to him. You see, in this passage of scripture, he says, and rend your hearts, not your clothes. In other words, he was saying, have it from the inside have your heart towards the Lord. Don't worry about fixing the outside. Don't worry about looking good on the outside. But from your heart, turn towards God. And who knows what God will do when we turn back towards him. You see, I believe in a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think if we turn back to him. Look at me, verse number 19. He said, yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil and ye shall be satisfied therewith and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. Our problem in America is that we've given up simply on the next generation. We've given up. We, we've simply said, well, they're too far gone. This nation is going to hell in a handbasket. I got what I needed, but that next generation, they're just doomed. But I don't believe in a God who gives up while the fighters are still fighting. I don't believe in a God who gives up while people are still getting saved. People are still going to church. People are still living right. I don't believe in a God who gives up on that next generation. And if you're the kind of church I believe you are, you're not giving up on them either. I see youngins walking around. I see children walking around. And that next Next generation is who we're fighting for. Honestly, I'm 25. I've been in this thing a long time. And for those of you that say 25 is not old, listen, I'm a newer model, but I got a lot of miles on me. But I've seen enough God in my life to get me through, Brother Brandon. But I got a three-year-old back there that needs Jesus. I got a one-year-old that's back there that she don't know about God. She, she knows what I've told her, but she's never experienced it for herself. And if she is going to make it in the world that we live in, I got to keep walking. I got to keep going. I got to keep living. I need God to do something, not just for me, but for them. I'm not fighting for me. I'm done saved, bought by the price. I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. But I'm fighting for that next generation. Those young people that I talk to and I witness to and I try to help in, the, in my church, I'm not fighting for me. I'm fighting for them. And I believe in a God that needs someone to fight for that next generation. You see, it, and I say this with all reverence, you gray-haired people. My generation needs what your generation has. 
My generation needs to know what your generation knew. We, and Joel is writing to his generation about what the next generation needed from them. I built a big platform. We're going to build a little house on it. Y'all ready? Number one, Joel begins to write to them saying they, need, they needed a generation with spiritual awareness. They needed a generation with spiritual awareness. Look at me in verse number five of chapter number one. Somebody read me that first word. Somebody say it a little bit louder. Somebody say it a little bit louder. Awake. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and howl, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. The word awake is the Hebrew word, which means coots, which means to awake from sleep abruptly. You know, kind of like when your wife kicks you out of the bed because your alarm clock won't stop going off. It is implied that somebody is troubled so much and in depth troubled to the heart to the extent where sleep has been taken away from them. He says, awake. Look at me in Ezekiel. You don't have to look. Ezekiel chapter number seven, verse number five says this. Thus saith the Lord God, an evil and only evil, behold, is come. And an end is come. The end is come. It watcheth for thee. Behold, it is come. And it's speaking about Satan, how the evil is lurking about them. How many of y'all have ever felt like you go to work and evil is lurking around you? That's what the verse in Ezekiel is talking about. He said the evil is lurking. The sin is lurking. The Satan is lurking. He's got his demons around you. He's watching you. He's surrounding you. And they're watching, waiting for you to mess up. Then it reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, be sober, be vigilant. You know what that word vigilant means? I mean, this is deep. Y'all ready for it? That word vigilant means to keep awake, to wake up, to stay wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, knowing that the enemy is on the prowl. The enemy is watching out. The enemy is not sleeping. The enemy is not slumbering. So wake up. The church that we live in in this day and age is asleep to everything that is going on in the world, but the child of God needs to be awake. You need to wake up, awake, notice the world is going to hell and we can do something about it. So the Bible is letting us know that Satan is not asleep on the job. He is watching and he is awake. And in Joel chapter one, if you're still there, look at me in verse number six. Notice the, the correlation between the verses I just read you. For a nation has come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion. All right, if we know in 1 Peter that Satan is as a roaring lion, walking to him about, seeking whom he may devour, Joel gets six verses in and immediately identifies his enemy. He identifies. It's not, it's not us. It's not the locust. It's not the pommel worm. It's not the canker worm. It's not everything else going around. It's the devil. I find it interesting. In the average independent fundamental Baptist church, we are fighting such a good fight. But I'm scared we get the wrong enemy. Ephesians chapter number six says this, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The battle lines are drawn. It's pretty obvious. The enemy is not the preacher. Come on now. The enemy is not the church. The enemy is Satan himself, and he does not want anything good for you. He does not want good for your family. He does not want good for your friends. He does not want good for your church. But the enemy is identified and specified. John 10 says this, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, the average church is fighting a good fight, but they're fighting the wrong enemy. And we need to step back and see if Luke 9 says this, if they're not against us, they're for us. And every battle strategy at war fails when we don't know who our enemy is. You see, Joel needed somebody who was aware, spiritual awareness, that you're not fighting your brothers and sisters in the same pew. My fight is not against Calvary Baptist Church. Just because I'm from thanks to Calvary and I'm behind enemy lines right now, that does not mean. Come on now, y'all can laugh. I'm just joking. Y'all are not my enemy. Satan's my enemy. Husbands, your wife, she's not your enemy. Wife, your husband is not your enemy. Sometimes I feel like, brother, sometimes I'll wake up and she hasn't got her coffee yet. And I feel like I'm enemy priority one. That's why most of the time I'm out of the house before she ever gets up. She needs her coffee. We're not at odds against each other. We're not fighting each other. She is not my enemy and I'm not hers, but Satan is our enemy. If you're having trouble in your marriage, look at Satan. Identify your enemy. If you're having trouble in the church, look at Satan. Identify your enemy. Because when you forget who your enemy is, every battle strategy you have fails at war. It was spring 2006 in the Malab district of Ramadi, Iraq. Lieutenant Commander Jocko Willink, he was the leading commander and leading officer of SEAL Team 3. And in the Iraqi war, they had many fights that they were involved in. He was the strict leader and director of all those fights. And one morning in spring of 2006, he got a radio signal that they were, his men were in an extreme firefight. Guns were blazing. He could hear tanks going off in the background. And so he developed a quick response unit, and they, within 10 minutes, were together in Humvees and tanks and headed out in their direction because his men were on the outside of the building taking fire from the enemy on the inside of the building. And so he took off as quick as they could, less than 10 minutes. And when they got there, Jocko said it was one of the worst firefights he had ever been involved in in his entire life, spending years in the military as a Navy SEAL. He said they began to fire, and they began to fire, and he got there, and one of his commanding officers says, boss, we got a firefight on our hands, but we're going to get them. And just, I mean, for hours, this firefight went on. And Jocko said he was bedded down behind a tank when he remembered something from the morning. He said that while he in their planning and getting everything together, he got signal from another SEAL team just down the ranks, a couple of buildings down. He said that he knew that they was going to be moving, but he did not know their exact location. And so Jocko said with boldness and a little bit of stupidity, he said he marched up to the front door of the house that they had been sending rounds into for hours. He said he kicked down the door, and standing in front of him was one of his SEAL team brothers that he had went through buds with. He said one of the worst things to ever happen in war, fraternization, friendly fire. They had been fighting against themselves for hours while the real enemy, he said standing in that compound, he could hear the real enemy just a couple of blocks down, firing on his real men. He said, and they had spent hours shooting 
at one another. The fog of war sometimes sets in. When you're doing real good work, sometimes the fog of war will set in. And if you're not careful, you'll feel like you're fighting the enemy when in reality all you're doing is turning on yourself. And Jocko said it was one of the worst moments of his life to realize that he had dangered, harmed, and one of their friends had been killed. You see, it doesn't help blaming it on them. Oh, it's the public school's fault. It's not the public school's fault. It's Satan. Let's identify the enemy real quick. It, it, it's, not, it's not politicians' fault. It's the enemy. It's not our president's fault. And Lord knows I'm not a huge fan of him. But it's not our president's fault. It's Satan. The enemy is the enemy. Satan is the enemy. The war, the war that we are against and the spiritual warfare that we are inclined in, the enemy is Satan. Spiritual awareness. Singular attention to understand that they are... Look, look at me in this passage of Scripture. Verse number 14. He said, Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land of the house of the Lord your God. Verse number 19. O Lord, to thee will I cry. Spiritual awareness. Understand who the enemy is. But also understand that he was looking for a generation and Joel needed a generation of singular attention. Focus. Where is our help going to come from? Where is backup coming? Where is our strength? Where is our hope? Where is our abilities? How are we getting through this fight? There is one attention. There is one goal. There is one place. There is one man. There is one God that you are getting your help from to live in the world that we live in. And that is God Almighty. You are not getting it from the Pope. You're not getting it from TV. You're not getting it from politicians. You're not getting it from the preachers in the church. You're getting it from the Lord himself. And if he will help us and he will strengthen us, we're going to make it. But Joel said the next generation, they need somebody with an awareness to who the enemy is. And they also need somebody as to where their help is. That is the Lord. Spiritual awareness. And I'm running. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm pert near done. Y'all understand that in Union Grove? Praise God. Look at me, spiritual awareness, singular attention. But Joel said, we need a generation with satisfied apathy. Say, what do you mean, preacher? Apathy means complacency. Means what's going on around you doesn't bother you. To be apathetic is to be in Smurf world. Evidently, I need to explain. Ain't got a clue. Apathetic. The average independent, fundamental, Baptist, premillennial, white horseback riding Christian lives in Smurf world. I gotta make y'all laugh. I'm running long. The average Christian lives in that mind frame. Oh, preacher? I didn't realize the world was this bad. Preacher, I didn't know there was sin going on. Preacher, I didn't see it. You know how you get your spiritual awareness up? 
You don't get spiritual awareness by being involved in sin. You get spiritual awareness by being involved in the scripture. He said we need somebody with satisfied apathy. They're not satisfied with being average. They're not satisfied with being mundane. They're not satisfied with dead religion. But we need somebody who's getting after it. And I'm glad to know that Calvary Baptist Church down here in Union Grove, y'all are getting after it. You say, how do I know? Because I watch y'all's live feeds, and I watch y'all's Facebook page, and y'all always got something on. Y'all are like us. You're running yourself to death. And I like it. And this is more or less just me encouraging you to keep on doing exactly what you're doing. And matter of fact, kick it into high gear. Do a little bit more. See, see, go a little bit further. Joel chapter number two, look at me in verse number 25. Turn with me real quick, real quick, and I'm almost done. I'm watching my time. Verse number 25 says this, And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you, among you, and ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the, Lord, praise the name of the Lord your God that it dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed and ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. You know what God is promising Joel in this passage of scripture? He is saying, Joel, if you will kick it into high gear and Joel, if you will get busy about my work, you know what's gonna happen? Everything that Satan has taken from you, I will give it back. Everything that the locusts have taken, I'll give it back. Everything that the world and sin and flesh and the devil and all of Satan's demons has taken away from you. I promise you, Joel, if you'll get busy about it and Joel, if you'll turn towards me and Joel, if you'll get about my word, I'll give it back. How many of y'all have ever had something Satan's taken from you? How many of y'all, before you got saved, you had years that Satan took from you? How many of y'all understand the devil is not our friend? He is our enemy and he is against us. But I serve a God who has all power. He can do whatever he wants to at any moment, at any time. He is not restrained. He is not refrained. He is not rebuked. He is there for us. And I believe in a God that if we turn back towards him, he can give you everything that Satan ever took from you. That's why Paul said, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Because what God has given you and what Satan has taken away, God can give it back. That's why he said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Look at me in verse number 32 of chapter number 2 and I'll be done. And it says, and it came to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. That's a direct quote Paul directly quotes it in the New Testament in Romans chapter number 10, verse number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul directly quotes it. For whosoever. In other words, Joel's saying, while we still have time, while there's still a chance, while there's still an eastern sky and God hasn't opened it up yet, let's reclaim what the devil's taken. Can, can I get somebody to come to the piano or the able or... Brother Brandon said, well, I know we live in a crazy world. And I know, Lord, I know the devil has taken a lot. But how about it if the church of God began to take some back? It's called spiritual warfare for a reason. It's not called spiritual patty cake. It's spiritual warfare. And what the enemy has taken, 
How about we take it back? Because my Bible tells me, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For whosoever shall turn back towards him, God will abundantly bless and abundantly give back what Satan has taken. How about this? The generation that we've given up on, how about we take them back? This altar is open. How about instead of just waiting around for Satan to finish them off, how about we say, God, if you'll let me and you'll give me a chance, I'm giving you everything i got. Lord, help me get some of that generation back. See, because my generation is dying and going to hell because there is a generation who has left off and said, I guess they'll just do their own little thing. No, 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 no. While there's still breath in my lungs, my generation at least has one hope. While there's still breath in my lungs, those young people down at Thanks to Calvary Baptist Church still have a little bit of hope because I will give my dying breath to make sure that they have at least a little bit of God in their life. He said, for whosoever shall call, he will deliver. Our problem in our world and our generation is that we've given up. We've said they're too far gone. I guess Satan's just going to take all of our young people. God help if that's your mindset. Lord, help me to give everything I got. Lord, I know I'm saved. I know I'm headed to heaven. I've seen enough of your glory and I've seen enough of your power. Lord, I'm going to be fine. But you gray-haired saints, why don't we look around There's a lot of young people that either they're not saved or they haven't seen enough of the glory and they're still in the milk. They won't make it. As we stand, every head bowed and every eyes closed, how about in that same movement, we pile around this altar and we beg God, Lord, help us get back some of the land that Satan's taken. Lord, the demons of hell have came against our young people in our high schools and our middle schools. And Lord, if there's still breath in my lungs, let us get some of the land back. Is every head bowed and every eyes closed? Maybe you're standing here and you say, Preacher, Satan has taken a lot. But preacher, I'm lost. I can't get it back by myself. Would you raise your hand? I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Say, preacher, I'm lost. I'm dying and going to hell. Would you raise your hand? Or maybe you're saying, preacher, as you was preaching, God brought to memory the times when I was filled with his spirit. I was filled with zeal. And preacher, I was more faithful back then. And Satan has crept in unaware. Preacher, he's taken a lot from me. Preacher, would you pray that I could get back? Would you raise your hand? I promise you what Satan's taken, God can give it back. I promise you what the devil meant for bad, God can make it out for good. Don't stay that way, Christian. As Brother Brandon comes... They begin to sing a song of invitation. Won't you do business with God?
if those are still doing business on the altar, there's still time for you to make that move as well. And if you're watching via live stream, there's a number on the bottom of your screen. If you'll call that number, there are people waiting by the phone lines. They're there to help you, to be able to pray with you. If you're unsure of your eternity, unsure of your salvation, they'll be glad to take the Bible and show you how you can be saved as well. Just another moment or so of invitation as many are still doing business. What a great challenge and a great message that we just heard. 